507 of the Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, November 22nd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, flying solo today. The boys are on vacation. Thanksgiving vacation. I, I said, you know what? Take the day off. Actually, that's not really true. Eno was um, available in a tight window, but Justin wasn't. And I had a pretty tight window as well. And when I record instead of Justin, you never know how the recording's going to turn out. And I didn't really have time to uh, edit. You know, I got to kind of post this and go. I'm headed to my sister's. So I know it's a little bit behind the curtain that you guys probably don't care about. But I wanted to make sure you guys had an episode for this week. And then, you know, Justin and I will be good to go on Monday of next week. So if you're missing Eno and Justin, just wait. They'll be back. Don't worry. But we got plenty to talk about today. We got some news going on. Uh, that I'm going to touch on just a few different things here, kind of all around the map, a lot of rumor stuff. And then I'm going to get in on some uh, interesting catching targets that I have. I posted a positional overview of catcher uh, first in a series here that I'm going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. You can take a look at that. I really break it down from uh, a lot of different angles, power, speed, uh, obviously not a lot of speed at uh, at catcher, so that's a quick section. Batting average, contact skills, playing time surges, uh, some prospects, and then um, a look ahead to this year. And I had the, the, the top 25 ranked there. So, uh, again, going to be doing that at every position. It was a lot of fun putting that together. I think I'll have first base out next week, so go ahead and look for that. But we will get in. Do some catcher talk here in just a, just a few moments after we go through some of this news. I am going to save the Atlanta stuff uh, to discuss with Eno. Um, you know, he knows some folks in that front office. I think he's going to have better insight to that than um, just me talking about it. And uh, we could talk about the guys that were lost. Kevin Maiton is obviously the one that really stands out, and it was – it was really severe. It was really severe uh, punishment for Atlanta. So, again, we'll get into that when he knows back. But uh, for now, just looking at some other news. Going to start with Aaron Judge having shoulder surgery. Now, it looks like it's just a minor uh, sort of cleanup deal, a loose body removal and cartilage cleanup. And it's supposed to be completely fine in time for spring training. You know, uh, I think there was chatter of, of a shoulder issue during the um, disastrous run that he had, uh, I guess it was like a six-week run there where he, you know, Judge was just totally terrible, and obviously he bounced back, finished strong, got the Rookie of the Year, and finished second in the MVP. This has me a little bit concerned. Listen, guys, you have to take any surgery seriously. Now, obviously, there are different levels. You don't automatically freak out on every surgery you don't automatically push a guy off your list because of every surgery that's not that's not necessarily what it is it's just that you have to give it a little something let's say you had him um i don't know 10th maybe he's your 10th overall guy for judge and you take the shoulder surgery news and maybe you throw him down four spots to 14 and obviously that's not like a giant deal in the grand scheme of things but I do think at the at the higher end in those first couple rounds, every little every pick move is uh, substantial compared to say moving a guy from the tenth round to thirteenth round. In that instance, I don't really think it's all that big of a deal. But when you're talking about five, ten spots up at the top rounds, it can be something. So you know, I'd just be 
you know, if you got if you had him in some toss-ups, if you had Judge and you're like, I could go Judge or Stanton, you push over towards Stanton. If I could go Judge or or Chris Sale in in a in a late first round spot, I would go with the other with Chris Sale. Me personally, I'm not looking to take Judge in the first round. It's really nothing against him. I've taken my L on uh, my analysis of him. I saw it in saw him in Arizona Fall League. Wasn't really impressed. Um, didn't see the swing picking up. Uh, to to really cut the strikeouts, and obviously he led baseball with 208 strikeouts. Did Judge, but obviously he he cut into the obscene rate we'd seen in 16. And obviously I, I didn't expect the 2016 rate to hold either. I just thought that I saw a slower swing that was going to have a trouble getting around, and I really thought more Mark Trumbo than Giancarlo Stanton for Aaron Judge in terms of uh, his output. And maybe that's not even fair um, because. Trumbo doesn't really strike out as much, so maybe I'm thinking like Adam Dunn type or something like that. But either way, I just didn't see Judge being as elite as he was. He was tremendous. He is tremendous. Definitely in on him, particularly in comparison to where I was last year. But uh, I still I don't want him in the first round because there's other guys I like and I trust more. That's all. That that's all there is to it. And um, you know, I'm talking like late second round anyway. So, anyway, that's the news with Judge. Just be careful with that. Obviously, if we get further news that, you know, recovery isn't going as well, we'll talk about that. I don't see that being an issue. We, there are a lot of these smaller surgeries, and, you know, sometimes you can even miss them if you're not fully dialed in and, and going to Rotowire and Roto World and checking the news every single day. You can even miss some of these little surgeries that are going to happen in the off season and be good to go. By the start of the season, but I did I did think it was worth mentioning. Uh, other news: Shohei Otani is coming over, and again, we'll get more into this with Eno because uh, I want to kind of figure out uh, where he thinks that Otani's going to go. What they did was grandfather in the old posting system, which is really going to limit uh, Otani's earnings in, in this particular situation. Here, he's going to max out at about three and a half mil. I think the Rangers and Yankees both have that. Uh, the Twins have like three point three mil. And so you have to use basically you have to use your international market money. We saw the Mariners get five hundred thousand for Thiago uh, Vieira in that trade, and and folks have speculated that maybe that's to gear up for something like an Otani push. And the beauty of that is, is you know, if you go trade for some international money and to to try to make a push for Otani, and then you don't get them, you still get to just use that money. Hell, maybe you could use it on a Kevin Maiton. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Maybe they weren't even thinking Otani, and they were saying, you know what? Everyone's going to say this is for Otani, and yeah, maybe we'll, we'll we'll talk to him and see what's what. But if that doesn't happen, we will hold our cards and play them in the J2, the July 2 uh, international pool when Kevin Maiton's available. So um, I want to talk about that stuff with Eno as well because I, I'm not even entirely certain on how the whole thing's going to work with these prospects that they lost. I know that they're just not going to – I'm – Fairly certain, I should say. I shouldn't even say that. I definitely know, but I'm fairly certain that uh, actually, you know what? Pardon me. I was actually just about to say something that I've read is incorrect. Uh, I thought that they wouldn't be able to be signed until the next July second period. The, that's when the international free agency period starts for the given year. Not correct. I'm reading right now on MLB trade rumors. All MLB teams but the Braves can sign the prospects between December 5th of this year and January 15th of next. Any player that do not sign within that period will no longer be eligible to receive a signing bonus. 
The Braves are eligible to pursue any still unsigned prospects beginning May 1st, 2018. So there you go. Um, that's really interesting. So now Kevin Maiton is going to be somebody who's available here this winter. And you know, he didn't have a great year. His, his, his stock maybe plateaued a little bit or even went down um, a little bit from, from where it was here. But we're talking about a 17-year-old who didn't obliterate rookie ball. I'm not going to freak out and say, oh, scrub. You know, he, he was he was a fluke or uh, overrated. No. You know, this guy uh, still has a very high ceiling. He's going to be heavily sought after, and I'll be really interested to see uh, what happens with Kevin Maiton now that he's going to be a free agent starting in about two weeks here uh, with all teams but the Braves being able to sign him. So we'll see how that goes. But as far as Otani goes, again, you talk about the, the Rangers and the Yankees having the most money. They also both have track record of bringing over players from Asia and, and implementing them very well into uh, the, the, the culture of the clubhouse and, and getting them acclimated to Major League Baseball. You Darvish, Masahiro Tanaka, those are obviously the most recent ones. There's others before, particularly on the New York side. Um, so that's going to be interesting. But I, I don't know that he's automatically going to go to the most money, if only because it's not such a severe difference. I think if he's if Otani, Otani's coming over here and he knows he's given up a, a boatload of money if he had just waited the two years, but he wants to get over here to MLB, get get the career started. With that in mind, it has me thinking that he won't maybe – he's not just looking for highest bidder, give me every nickel I can get because he's setting up for the next maybe ideally like a decade plus. He's, he's coming over at 23 years old. So if he sees a team that he likes and maybe they only have 2.8 mil versus the 3.5 of the Rangers, yeah, you're leaving a few bucks on the table. And it, listen, I don't want to pretend like that's not uh, substantial money. Uh, you know, it's monopoly money that we deal with in sports these days. And, and, and we're left saying things like 3.5 mil isn't that much money, but we're talking relative scale. And it really isn't compared to what uh, he could have made in a in a more open posting system. But I think Otani uh, is going to really be looking for a situation that he likes, not just every last dollar, only because the difference between the high end and, say, the middle uh, is just not going to be that severe. And, and he can probably recoup that in, in different ways in short order. And then I'm curious, and I'll have to talk with Eno about this. Like, So when they bring him over and they sign him to, to whatever the, the posting system deal is, how quickly can they turn around and give him an extension that is beyond the international market stuff? Uh, obviously, I would think that you can't do it like immediately and make some deal where you say, "Hey, come over now." You know, we're the and I don't know the figures. I'm I'm completely making this up, so I'll just use my my favorite team as an example. The Tigers, like, mate, let's say they have like 1.1 mil on the uh, international, and they say, "Hey, come over here and sign with us." The second that you're here. We'll give you a 10-year, uh, you know, $180 million deal or something like that. I don't, I don't think that that would be allowed to, be, uh, to, to happen instantly because that would seem sketchy. So I wonder if, if he has to at least be a year under the, the system or he has to play out the full contract, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's going to be really interesting, and I do think that Otani more than Stanton has been holding up the market so far this year and now that he's officially coming over we'll start to see some movement and then once uh once we get a read on on where otani's gonna go 
Uh, we'll see a flood of moves. I will say this. With that in mind, with nobody really having signed in just a couple trades so far, it sets up for an awesome December. Because, you know, sometimes we'll have a, a solidly active November where a handful of guys signed. There's usually a break around this time for Thanksgiving. And then things gear back up for the winter meetings. Well, we haven't really had anything yet. So there could be a whole lot of stuff at the winter meetings. And that could carry on until uh, right up until Christmas. Another little break for Christmas and New Year's. And then back at it again in January. But the, the, the like three-week period before Christmas in December could be amazing. And uh, we can see a lot of guys, a lot of dominoes fall on the market and, and trades happen as well. So that'll be really, really exciting. Really uh, interesting piece of news I saw come out the other day. I think it was yesterday that the Twins have talked to the Pirates about acquiring Garrett Cole. And that's just really interesting to me. I, I, I like it. I think that that's something that uh, they should very much be open to the twins because they have they have a talented farm system they have pieces that they could certainly move and somebody in in the current situation right now of garrett cole would not break break the bank obviously the twins are a little bit on the on the smaller market side in terms of the money that they spend but you know he made 3.8 mil this year did did garrett cole probably bump bump up to i don't know like five six i i, I don't know uh, five, I was th saying 5.6 mil, not 5.26 mil. I, I really don't know how the arbitration scale works, but I, I can't imagine he'd be making more than, than something like that. Um, actually, you know what? He will. I just see the tweet right now. See, I'm getting corrected left and right. I'm correcting myself by finally clicking links. Maybe I should have done all this research beforehand, but I'm a clown. Twenty uh, Mike Berendino, Ber um 7.5 mil is the projection for what uh, Garrett Cole would make. And he mentions that they've also talked to the Rays about Jake Odorizzi, and he would make 6.5 mil. So both of those are very affordable prices for any team, really. Even a team like the Twins that, that doesn't always shell out a, a boatload of money. They could really use somebody at the front end of the rotation with Barrios and Santana. That would give them a really nice trio. I love Garrett Cole, and I understand that he has uh, underwhelmed against expectations for most of his career, really. He had that big 2015, and he certainly hasn't been bad. I, I wouldn't go that far by any stretch of the imagination. But, it, again, it's been underwhelming. He really got bit by the home run bug this year. And, um, you know, after really being a home run stifler for four years, 0 0.5, 0 0.7, 0 0.5, 0 0.5 homers per nine for Garrett Cole, this year 1.4. So it was a big issue, and it led to a career-worst 4.26 ERA. Well, when your worst season is a 4.26 ERA, which is, you know, it's palatable. It's, again, not great. But if you had put that on the Twins team this year, that could have been really interesting because you, you replaced their worst pitcher with that, and then you're going Santana, Barrios, Cole. Now you got a little something, even if Cole was just that same guy again. But I, I, I certainly think there's still plenty of upside here. He's going to be 27 next year. Uh, he had the injury issues in 2016, but then back on track with 33 starts, a career high this year. So he has 203-plus innings in two of his last three years. I think, uh, excuse me, I think that that is very um, encouraging in terms of uh, his health track record. It'd be really interesting to see that. The Twins are a team that's definitely on an uh, incline with their trajectory. And I think the Pirates aren't necessarily on a decline, but I think they're probably a little bit plateaued, may, maybe leaning a little bit down and getting some young pieces 
some young close pieces or even ready pieces. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody like a Jorge Polanco could headline that deal. Uh, a young middle infielder could be 24 next year. Had a big second half. Uh, definitely has prospect to claim. I don't think it would be a, a, a Sano. Definitely wouldn't be a Buxton situation. They're not doing that. Um, Kepler, perhaps. Uh, maybe Rosario. I've always liked Rosario. I know that he doesn't draw rave reviews from, from scouts or analysts. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe I just see him when he goes well. Because I just... The, the memories I have of him are positive, right? You, you make a composite of players as you watch baseball and read stuff. You just create this composite and, um, you know, you got to be open to changing it for sure because players evolve. But the one I have right now, based on some time in the Arizona Fall League where I saw him live, and then, of course, he's in the division of my favorite team, the Tigers, watch a lot of his games. I, I, I like any Rosario. I, I would I would probably favor Polanco or Kepler. If Actually, I... I don't know. I'm not as sold on Kepler as others. I know Eno likes Kepler. I would probably go Polanco, Rosario, Kepler in terms of preference if I'm trying to get one of those close guys as a centerpiece for Garrett Cole. Jake Odorizzi is a guy that I have always liked too. I certainly don't like him to the level of Garrett Cole. Um, he's never done anything to that same height. But when he's on, he's really good. He's a really solid mid-rotation guy now. He would be a true a true three type Whereas Cole played like a three this past year, but certainly has one upside. And then you're pairing Cole Barrios, Stanton, you're, you're, you're combining Cole Barrios, Stanton. That is, that has a chance to really be a nice front of the rotation. Otherwise, if it's Odorizzi, it's still very helpful because of the rotation that they had. But then I think it's kind of Barrios as a clear standout. Santana, Odorizzi kind of interchangeable there as, as the two, three. And then they're solid. Um, if unspectacular. So we'll see what the Twins do there. They should make a move. I, I like that they're doing that. Speaking of teams kind of in the uh, the mid middle market Midwest there, Milwaukee has been linked to a lot of different arms, the latest being Lance Lynn, after some, uh, some chatter about perhaps getting um, Jake Arrieta coming over there. Now, I know some Brewer fans – and uh, they are not thrilled with the idea of bringing Jake Arrieta over. I th- I'm not even sure that they're that thrilled about uh, about Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn's another guy that I really like, and I don't I don't really get the the disdain that some have for him. I can understand not being over the moon for him. That's that's fine. That's just a preference thing where you're like, yeah, yeah, he's he's perfectly solid, but I'm not I'm not over the moon. Okay, that's fine, but to to not like him at all or to, or to think he's bad, that doesn't add up to me. That's that's interesting. I, I don't quite understand that. Um, you just kind of look at, at, at what Lance Lynn has gotten done throughout his career, and I I don't see the reasons to be to be out on him, really. Another guy who got bit by the home run bug, but it didn't really – he kind of outran that. He allowed a 1.3 um, homer per nine, which was higher – which was equal – to his last two years combined. If you had 14 and 15 the homer per nines, which is weird. I don't know why you would do that because that's not how it works. But if you just added the .6 and the .7, you would equal what he had this year. So I think that could be due for some uh, for some comeback if he gets back to – he's never been a home run issue guy. He has a .8 career mark even with this year's surge for Lance Lynn. He was .7 coming into the season. Um, 
didn't miss as many bats this year, but just one of those guys, another one, uh, one of those guys that when you watch him, um, versus his numbers, when you watch him, you're like, okay, that guy's really good. That guy, that guy's a true workhorse. He's really the definition of a workhorse. Uh, Lance Lynn is, and then you might go look at his numbers and be like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. That's not that special, you know. His uh, strikeout rate was down this year. His walk rate was up. Um, for a career worst, ten percent strikeout minus walk ratio, and then like I said, the home runs. But he only allowed a two nineteen average, and I think that's what kind of shines through when you watch him. He induces a lot of bad contact. Really kind of keeps hitters off balance. Um, of course, when they got him this year, they got him with with, with the homers. So. I could see the strikeout rate going back up. The walk rate at 10% versus a career 9%, that's negligible. So while it was a career worst, it's certainly not to some sort of level where it's like, oh my God, he was way worse than we've ever seen Lance Lynn. I will say, though, that uh, the the career worst first pitch strike rate is something I like to see get back on track. It was at 55%. He's a career 59% guy. If it gets back into the 60s where he lived from 2013 to 2014, that would be a huge deal. And the strikeout rate, you know, again, at nine, at 20%, it was a good, a good clip below his career 22%, but not something where I'm super alarmed. Quality workhorse, I think for the money, this would be a better move for the Brewers than, than paying Arietta. Arietta wants to get paid, man, and someone's going to pay it. And I think it's going to be a bad move. I just, I don't know. The first year could, you know, this upcoming season could be fine for Arietta, but I just think it's going to be trouble. And it's going to be one of those where it's like, yep, everyone kind of knew what was going to happen, but somebody. You know, it was like a musical chairs thing. They didn't get the guys they wanted in the market or via trade, and they ended up just kind of going with Arietta. All right, next up is uh, Mark Appel was DFA'd, former number one pick overall. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's chatter after the uh, the Astros won, and this happens. I think it happened with the Cubs too. It seems to happen with any team that wins after they like built through the draft about how lucky they got. Everyone talks about the the positive moves. Well, you know, you had to have Bryant uh, really come through like that, and and um, I'm trying to think uh, who who the hell am I missing? Um, you had to have Bryant, Baez, Schwarber. Uh, obviously, Schwarber wasn't even a major part of the uh, the, the title team there. Uh, Contreras, you know, they, they they clicked on all these these pitchers or on, on all these prospect picks. Uh, that doesn't always happen. And then they don't talk about the stuff that went wrong for these teams. No team is perfect in their in their build. In fact, that's why you have to accumulate so much talent because things are going to go awry. You're going to cut a J.D. Martinez who's going to go on to become a superstar. You're just going to let Delano DeShields get rule fived, and he ends up being pretty damn good. You're going to draft Mark Appel at 1-1. I think that was the year of Chris Bryant, was it not? Yeah. And that blows up in your face. Brady Aiken was not a good draft pick. Obviously, that one ended up working out because um, I think that was the year that they then got. Uh, hang on, I'm actually gonna I'm I'm gonna find this one. I think they it was 14 that they took him. So back to back years, 13 and 14, they had the number one pick. Houston did. They took Mark Appel and Brady Aiken, and that could not have worked out worse. They they were both terrible. Uh, Aiken they didn't sign because they were concerned about his uh, UCL, and then he blew up his arm immediately after. But then in 15, I think that allowed them to get 
Bregman and who the hell else? Oh, Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker. So Bregman, they got the number two pick because when you when you don't sign a guy, you get the pick minus one um, the next year. So Brady Aiken was the number one pick. They get number two pick instead. And so they ended up getting um, Bregman at number two and then Kyle Tucker at number five. Kyle Tucker hasn't obviously contributed to their success yet, though. So we'll, we'll see it. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, my point is that stuff goes awry for for these teams uh when they when they you, you don't just get lucky and and everything hits you just you continue the process and you utilize your process throughout the entire organization you make a lot of moves there's going to be misses but obviously there's going to be hits too when you're successful and so i just think that uh when i hear about well you know they had to suck for all these years and get all these number one picks and that's the only reason they were good well all the number one picks didn't even work the Astros did a whole lot of stuff. Oh, they had to get lucky on, on Carlos Correa. Yeah, I mean, it's favorable that he turned out as brilliantly as he did and 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 was dominant right away. But just because you didn't think that Carlos Correa was a number one overall pick doesn't mean that they didn't know what they were doing. I think that's my biggest beef with it is when people, like, when they're surprised by something – uh, they don't credit the team. They just they just say, "Oh, it's lucky. It's lucky." So um, anyway, that that's a tangent. We're here to talk about Mark Appel, DFA'd. It just hasn't gone well for him. It really didn't go well in Houston at all. And then he was over to Philly in the uh, in the Ken Giles deal and had just a disastrous season. At age 25, put up a 5.27 ERA in uh, 82 innings at AAA. Worse yet, it was a 176 WHIP. 10 hits per nine, a 1.1 strikeout to walk ratio. That is devastating no matter how you slice it up. Even if you're striking out a batter per nine, that means that you're basically walking a batter per nine. Um, so in this instance, it happened to be a low strikeout rate and high walk rate at 6.6 um, strikeouts per nine, 5.8 walks. So he'll he'll get another go. You know, uh, I keep bringing up my, my beloved Tigers. I think this that they're the kind of team that should take a shot. They're in a rebuild. He's a former number one overall pick. Just see if there's something there. They got Chris Basio in the mix to be the pitching coach. See if he can work some magic. It's probably more a reliever uh, at this point. Maybe maybe you just commit to that and say, hey, we're going to try to make you a reliever. We're going to try to make you um, a peacekeeper, as Tyler Kepner calls. I really like that, by the way. Tyler Kepner from, I think he's from New York, something or other. Hang on. Is he from New York Times? Yeah, it's from New York Times. Uh, he came up with the peacekeeper. For the instead of the fireman, the peacekeeper, he came up with that in the playoffs for the guys that come in um, when things aren't necessarily hairy, but just hey, the starter's been through two times, he's right starting to show some fatigue. Let's bring in the peacekeeper to go for two innings. Maybe Mark Capella can find a role there. Obviously, it's kind of a, a rebuild for, for him, whichever team he goes to, might they might just have to deconstruct him and figure it out. Let's scrap this pitch, let's try to add this pitch and, and get to the bottom of it. He's twenty, going to be twenty six, going into his age twenty six season. Though I, I wouldn't think that that Marco Pella is toast yet. Obviously, he's not going to reach the heights that were expected of him as a number one pick. But um, I mean, we've seen we've seen a lot more treacherous situations uh, rebound uh, as far as pitchers rebuilding themselves. So again, I just I just wouldn't rule it out, and I do think a, a, a rebuilding team should take a shot and see if they can get something out of it because then maybe you extract some value. And if he were that reliever type, 
and you're at the beginning of a rebuild like the Tigers, then maybe they could flip them. Or if you're maybe a little bit closer, uh, maybe like, um, I don't know, I think like a Cincinnati is maybe a little bit closer in their rebuild or like, um, I'm trying to think of who else. I don't know. Oh, we'll go with Cincinnati. But like maybe then they could have them as a piece. The Tigers are probably three years away from really doing anything if things go well with their rebuild. So maybe they try to reconstruct him and, and move him in 2019 or something and the reds maybe try to reconstruct him and have him as a fundamental piece of their bullpen a, a, a bridge from their starters to their power relievers at the at the back end but he'll latch on somewhere and, and we'll see what's what uh with with, with mark appell but it's kind of a bummer to, to see him get dfa'd there all right next up is uh the blue jays maybe being a sneak tip player in in the jd martinez market and that's that's kind of interesting um uh, they're really in between right now, the, the, the Blue Jays are. And so I, I, I think spending probably is the right move for them because they're certainly not in a rebuild situation and things did not go well in 2017 for them. They were 76 and 86. But you look up and down that roster and there's a boatload of talent still. Josh Donaldson was, uh, you know, down for the first half, but then rebounded to himself. He's, he's still only going to be 32. Josh Donaldson gets talked about like he's 36, like he's some, you know, one foot in retirement, just hang, barely hanging on sort of guy. He's going to be 32. Let's all, let's all chill. I know he's got some injuries uh, and, you know, we'll see what's what, but he had a 944 OPS. That's how brilliant his second half was uh, that it, that it propped him up to a bottom line 944 with 33 yaks. So he's still, a be- uh, still a beast. Uh, you got a stud like Kevin Pillar in center field, obviously big on his defense. You know the breakout of Justin Smoke unfortunately went uh, was wasted. That was kind of, that was kind of a bummer. Devon Travis cannot stay healthy, and that's that's a problem. We'll see what happens there. I really like a Teoscar Hernandez guy that they got from uh, Houston in the Francisco Liriano deal. And then you look on the pitching side, and they really do have a lot of talent there. Marcus Stroman, uh, Jay Happ had another good season. And, and again, it was kind of lost because they weren't any good. Roberto Osuna, Marco Estrada, I don't think is done either. I really think he could rebound. You know, for the past couple of years, things really went right for Marco Estrada, and so he was probably a little bit better than than what his base skills would say. I mean, he was leading the AL in hits per nine, um, en route to a three thirteen ERA and a three forty eight ERA in fifteen and sixteen respectively. And then this year, he had nine point point zero hits per nine and had a 498 era so i i i really think things just kind of went the other way meet somewhere in the middle with it and i think that's what we'll get in in 2018 from marco Estrada, and he can be a, a, a quality number three number four in the middle of your rotation we'll see if aaron sanchez comes back bottom line is they have a foundation that they can work with and going for somebody like jd martinez I think would actually be a good move. Now it would it would probably bump my boy Teoscar Hernandez, which is a little bit of a bummer. But I don't think Steve Pierce has a stranglehold on 162 games in left field, so Teoscar could certainly play there while uh, while JD Martinez takes over right field. Now the one thing is, if you don't like JD Martinez's defense, which is completely understandable, they still have Kendris Morales, so there's not a lot of DH availability there for JD, but. If you're signing JD, you're not necessarily trying to get him off the field this year. Um, you could certainly live with him another year in right field in in seven and eighteen and probably even nineteen. But then, if you're signing the five six year deal, the last few years you would definitely want him 
being a more DH role or maybe learn first base. I could certainly see that. I just He's got a really high baseball IQ, J.D. Martinez does, and I could totally see him transitioning there. I know that's the thing that a lot of people do. I just, oh, just put him at first base, put him at first base, and it doesn't always work. You know, it's still it's still a major league position that you have to learn. It's not as simple as just like, ah, anyone can play. It is the easiest position to learn, but that doesn't mean it's easy to learn, if that makes sense. So we'll see. Um, I, I do think that's interesting, and I advocate them them spending at this point. They're, they're, they're close-ish. They're close enough that they should not be pulling back. They should be pushing forward. I think the uh, – the Los Angeles Angels are a team like that as well, and we're hearing them in in Kinsler rumors and and free agent rumors as well. It's time it's time to push, especially for the Angels. Especially they're in their trout window, and you know it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to re-sign him when he becomes a free agent. I just think I could be overly influenced by the uh, the documentary that MLB did on him, but he seems like such a homebody that I really think he's getting back to the East Coast, and it's gonna it's gonna kind of pair well with when Philly's supposed to be ready to go to uh, on their rebuild and they're going to have some money. And so I could, I, that just seems, it just seems obvious. It just seems like that's going to happen. So anyway, we'll see where JD Martinez goes. I don't think he's going to get the 210 mil that they're asking for. I think it's actually kind of comical that they're asking for that, but um, that's the right move, right? You ask high. And so then when you negotiate and you come down to 150, it looks like you've negotiated 60 mil. Look at, look at that. They're so, uh, they're so open to negotiating. They, they came down 60 mil off their asking price. We got such a deal when we signed him. Yeah, right. Boris knows what he's doing. He's so smart. So let's see. I'm going to refresh this one more time, see if there's any new news since I started talking here. And, you know, Mariners and John Jay have momentum on the deal. And um, I'm not sure I could care less. Sorry, John Jay. You're, you're quality, solid major leaguer. I'm sure you're a nice clubhouse presence as well, but this is still a fantasy podcast, and you know we talk deep leagues and stuff. But John Jay is not out there moving the needle on anything, so I'm going to go ahead and pass on really deep diving on that and get into some catching talk. So, like I said, I did my catcher overview. You can find that on the website now. Uh, it's been up there, and I'm not going to review all of the stuff that's in there. Uh, I'm going over the guys that have good power, good contact, the prospects. I just want to talk about a handful of interesting targets, guys that I'm going to be looking at. I don't usually spend at the top tier of catching. It's just not somewhere I am. I used to be dollar guy or, or late round guy uh, for both my catchers. I've, I've gone off of that too. I, I don't do that. Uh, I think I've referenced this before, but the baseball HQ forecaster, first off, you need to go order it because it's wrapped. It's, it's done. It's going to be coming out soon. I did contribute to it. Um, so, that, I don't want that full disclosure out there, but um, it, it's it's an amazing book. It's it it really it can really keep you warm during the winter um, and get your baseball fix in. But everyone loves to read it for the player caps, which are great. Um, and, you know they got the the box of data and then a, a, a paragraph talking about you know their outlook. Those are great to read and those are a lot of fun. But really, the underrated aspect of the forecaster is the front of the book with all the essays and um, deep dives uh, on different statistical things in the game. And like, you know, talking about, Hey, well, here's what the power surge does for the game. Or uh, here's what end game costs at each, each position. Here's what they usually return. And, and in that vein, they did a piece of here. Here's what the dollar, the dollar guys at each position are returning and dollar catchers are a guaranteed loss by, you know, on the whole. 
every once in a while you'll spike one but as a whole when you're going dollar catcher you're foregoing value because they're just not going to be they're, they're just not going to be very good in a lot of cases so i don't do that anymore but again i'm not going to be playing in the uh sanchez posey wilson Contreras. Uh, tier either it's just not for me I just see other guys that I'm going to like there so I'm going to work in that middle tier and with that in mind here's a few guys that I'm going to be looking at pretty hard this year I'm going to start with Wilson Ramos I actually had him ranked up at sixth Um, I don't know that I'll have to take him as the sixth catcher off the board though we're going to see what the uh, what the market looks like on him but I think he's being a little bit forgotten because he only played 64 games returning from that ACL his power was there um you know, right in line with what he'd done in 2016, which was which was a big big season. I hesitate to call it necessarily a breakout because maybe 2013 was his breakout, although that was only 78 games. So I don't know these labels. Does it really matter? It was a career year so far, uh, and probably going to hold up as a career year. 307, 354, 496 triple slash for Wilson Ramos with 22 homers and 80 ribbies in a career high 523 plate appearances. Injuries have plagued him throughout his career. Um, and, and in fact, cut that season short and again, limited him to just 64 games this year. But I do think the 20 homer power can return. And even if it's with the same 260 average that he had this year, I take that all day. Uh, he's a high contact guy. You know, he's struck out 17% of the time in his career. So I think that that is, uh, conducive to, to being a 275 ish hitter. I, I guess that I would, 260 would be passable for sure. It would not necessarily be a detriment to taking him if if i if i if i knew ahead of time like oh he's only going to hit 260 with like 20 homers i would still take him but i i think 260 20 is kind of the floor if he gets 500 plate appearances and then there's the upside for more you can go 275 25 would would certainly be plausible now um again we'll see where the market is on him but i just don't know that people are going to be super aggressive on a 30-year-old catcher who just played 64 games and plays for Tampa Bay. You know, that I talk a lot of times about the Yankee tax and how just being a Yankee uh, can can add a, a, a few picks or a few rounds of, of cost to a guy because they're a little bit more known. I think there's a, there's a, a raise. I, what, would, what would be the opposite of a tax? Credit, I guess? I don't know. You know, there's like a, a raise benefit. Just being on the raise kind of keeps you a little bit hidden, a little bit off the board. Chris Archer would be the exception there. Uh, he's still going to get his due no matter what. But I think being on the Rays certainly helps uh, keep Wilson Ramos even a little bit hidden. So I'm going to be looking at, at, at scooping him. You know, I could see Grandal and Yadi Molina and Lou Croy and Sal Perez. Um, you know, probably McCann and or Gattazzanino. We'll see where Wellington Castillo lasts. I can see a lot of these guys going ahead of him, and then I'm just kind of biding my time, and then boom, I'm going to go ahead and get Wilson Ramos. And is he going to be really any different from those guys? I doubt it. And can he be better than some of them? Absolutely. Especially Mike Zanino. God, that guy just struck out right now. There's not even a game on, and he just struck out right now. Get out of here, Mike Zanino, with your fake-ass batting average. So mad about that. Anyway, um, next up is Tucker Barnhart. Gold Glove winner for the for the National League on the Cincinnati Reds. Quietly had a solid season there uh, at the dish as well. Career-high 423 plate appearances. Only seven homers, but four stolen bases, a 270 average. Those four stolen bases, you know, they don't sound like a ton, but in terms of what you usually get from catcher, if you don't have uh, JT Real Muto, then you don't get much out of catcher. So even those four steals, 
can add a few bucks to his dollar value. And I like that he doesn't strike out 17%, 9% walk rate. He was up at 10% this past year, but 9% for Tucker Barnhart's career. So I think there's some batting average upside here. If you're in an OBP league, you had a career high 347. I could certainly see that jumping over 350. Love the guys with the defense behind the dish because that playing time is guaranteed. So getting a gold glove and deserving it um, as he did, I think that's going to be huge for him. I know, or I think Devin Mesoraco's corpse is still lingering over there, but no. I mean, it's just no. Stop. You know, it sucks that Devin Mesoraco never really panned out and injuries completely ravaged his career, but the dude's going to be 30 this year. I just don't see him as a credible threat to really rob Barnhart of time. So I think at the very least, you got to be talking 70-30 in favor of, of Barnhart, and maybe Mesoraco is somebody they could dangle um, and get him over to the AL where maybe he could DH as well. I think they were flirting with left field for him maybe there was a minor league i'm checking that right now hang on yeah he only played three games it was in 2015 he played three games in triple a and left field but but maybe getting out from behind the dish is the move for Mizarocco. either way there's i just can't envision any scenario where he takes over uh, and even if even if Mizarocco stayed healthy all year i just can't see a scenario where he would have more of the playing time than tucker barnhart because again not only did he win the gold glove he was very deserving of it I think the, the, the distinction is worthy. Although I will say that the uh, Gold Glove Awards are much better these days than they were in the past. You got them off a of reputation or uh, your hitting stats, which is so mind-numbingly stupid. So stupid that that used to be like the driving force. Well, you had a good season at the dish. Okay, well, it's the Gold Glove, so who the hell cares? You know, I don't care if you had 500 plate appearances and you hit 240. If you're an elite defender, you should win the damn award. It's it anyway. That's another tangent. That's tangent for another time. I like Tucker Barnhart. Don't think he's going to be uh, somebody that people are aggressively seeking. I mentioned in the uh, in the piece that he played eighty percent of the second half games and he had uh, eight thirty one OPS from August, in August and September. So I really like him. I think there's a little bit of uh, punch in that bat that we could see jump up to and maybe get him over double digit homers. And if he runs a little bit more, you know, if you're talking seven, eight steals with 12 homers, again, that doesn't jump off the page like, holy crap, I just won my league because of Tucker Barnhart. But it's solid production, and it's very cheap at catcher. So Tucker Barnhart is definitely someone I'm keeping an eye on and uh, we'll be having shares of. And guys, y'all already know the next one. I, we're not getting through this podcast on catchers without mentioning Austin Barnes. There's, there's just no way. Hang on, I'm going to take a drink. I'm not editing that out. That's tasty. Tasty little Red Bull there. Um, but y'all already know. If you follow me on Twitter and, and you were there during the playoffs, you know I, I was gushing over Barnes every at-bat he had. It's just every time I see this guy, he impresses me. Uh, he has impressive outs even, you know, nine-pitch outs that he worked the count and everything. I just I like this guy a lot. He's so good. And so um, I'm going to be hyped on him, and I'm probably, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cop to him. I'm probably going to overdraft him a little bit. And I say that just because I want to secure him, right? And if I'm going to go into a draft where I don't know how everybody else feels, I'm going to be willing to jump him at, at a spot where maybe others just wouldn't be ready. Now, 
I'm not going to get outrageous with it. I'm not going to take Austin Barnes in a single-digit round. Yasmani Grandal still exists. I'm not going to ignore that. By the way, and I used to be a big Yasmani Grandal fan, so I'm, I'm well-versed in the upside of Yasmani Grandal. And, you know, he even had 22 homers this year um, behind the dish, which is nice, 27 the year before. Always seems to be something, though. And, you know, always seems to be this spell of just hell with him. It always has to have some like Aaron Judge like six month or excuse me, six month, uh six week run that just poops all over his season and ends uh you know d- completely destroys his batting average. Oh look at Yasmani Grandal has twenty homers and a two sixty average through the first four months. Okay, well he's gonna hit point oh nineteen uh with one homer for the final two months. Cool. You know, it, it seems to always be something. And then the alarming factor this year was that his uh, normal walk rate uh, was really chopped down this year. He was a double-digit guy every year. Worst worst season for Grandal before this year was 13% walk rate. This year, 8%, paired with a career-high 27% strikeout rate. So I didn't like that. And then you talk about the playoffs again, uh, he was nowhere to be found. The dude was on a milk carton. Yasmani Grandal was while Austin Barnes was getting all the playing time. And another thing I like, so let's say Grandal stays, okay? Uh, they could probably move him in the market, but then they'd have to go get another catcher to at least back up Barnes. You can't just have Barnes. So I think they'll probably keep Grandal. But he, so let's assume that. There's also the factor that Barnes can play second base. And yes, Logan Forsythe is there, but Logan Forsythe was a complete nightmare against second ba- uh, against right-handers this year. While Barnes, although he too is a right-hander, uh, hits them a little bit. So I think that he could get a lot of uh, versus righty burn at second base, as well as get time behind the dish. So he'll he'll be a little bit of a hybrid guy there. And I think the playing time will be there to get 400 plus plate appearances, even if Grandal sticks. So. That's why I'm still really hyped on Barnes, even though I fully acknowledge that Yasmani Grandal is likely to still be be lurking there for the Dodgers. So I'm going to be in on Barnes. The skills are there. They're just, I mean, I love what he does. And now this is another guy that I'm mentioning that can run a little bit. Four for five on, on the bases. Super athletic guy. Obviously can play second. Uh, I think played a game or two at third as well. So he can play elsewhere around the diamond. Uh, and he's got some speed to go with it. Nothing crazy. And he's not at the Real Muto style. Real Muto is like legitimately fast, by the way. Not just catcher fast. He's like fast, fast. Uh, so that makes him something really special behind the dish in terms of stealing. But I think a, f- a full season... And a full season for like a catcher is more of a, like a 400 plate appearance thing as opposed to 550. And that's why guys like Posey and, and Sanchez are so special because they can get, you know, those extra plate appearances, whether it's at DH for Sanchez or first base for uh, for like a Lou Croy and a, uh, and a Posey. That that extra volume is, is huge. But um, most a lot of a lot of the uh, mid-tier catchers, you're really looking at 400 plus as, as more of a uh, full season. But I think if we can get... Barnes from four hundred from two sixty two to four hundred plate appearances. You could be looking at six seven stolen bases and double digit pop, and a, and a great batting average. I really think he's a big batting average plus there. He doesn't strike out a whole lot. Sixteen percent this year with a fifteen percent walk rate, and uh, he has a career fifteen percent walk rate. Now before this year, he only had uh, thirty seven plate appearances in both fifteen and sixteen. Um, 
it's weird that both of his cups of coffee happened to be 37 plate appearances. But he did walk a ton there as well, and he did walk in the minor leagues. So this is a, this is a skill that is, is in his arsenal. So in OBP leagues, I'm even going to be on Barnes more um, for sure. I'm in an NL-only league. I think I have him at three. I know you guys super care about this aspect, but I'm going to look it up anyway. So deal with it. It's a two-catcher league. And I think I have Austin Barnes at three bucks in an OBP NL only. Oh, at one dollar. God, I'm a genius. I'm so good. I'm gonna win that league. Actually, I have won that league one time, and it's I get my butt kicked all the time. I was tracking really well this year, in uh, sec bouncing between second and third, second and third, and then in September, this was one of my. T I've I've whined about my September collapse this year across a lot of leagues. This was one that was really disheartening because the team was looking really sharp and I w probably wasn't going to win. I didn't think I necessarily had the horses to win, but I thought a second or third place was, was uh, almost a lock the way I, the way the team was playing and, and things were moving. And then I finished sixth and, you know, obviously you want to win at, at all costs, but when you got some, you got some, you got some scratch on the line, you'd, you'd like to, if you're not gonna win, you got to get that second, second or third place there. Make sure you bring it home a little, little cheddar. So no cheddar for me. Moldy, moldy cheese. That's all I got uh, in that league. So yeah, Austin Barnes, of course. And then the last one I wanted to to hit on was the Braves duo because they were really interesting this year. Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki. I mean, if you if you were some like super Braves homer and just drafted them as your C1, C2 and said, you know what, I'm just going to set it and forget it with these Braves and get and get a full season's worth um, out of the two spots. Now, I would not recommend necessarily doing that in, in, in a mixed league, like a 10-teamer especially, or maybe even a 12-teamer. Maybe a 15-teamer where you just kind of concede and say, you know what, I'm going to get 650 plate appearances from this one team and, and, and ride it out, sure. Uh, but NL only, I think it's certainly plausible. Now, if you did it coming into the season, you're a damn genius, and I would like to talk with you uh, about some perhaps lottery numbers or the future because there's no way that you would do that thinking that you were going to really succeed. And Suzuki and Flowers were amazing this year, especially Suzuki. Suzuki popped 19 homers. I don't think he had 19 in his career before that total. Okay, I'm joking. He had 100. He has 102 for his career. So he had um, 83. Am I doing math properly? I'm not. I'm not good with math. But I think even that I can figure out. So he had 83 coming into the season, and then popped 19 easily, easily a career high. In fact, I think he can add up his last four years. Actually, no. If you add up his last four years, it's 21. So it'd be just a little bit short. But if you add up his last three years, 16 in. 1,355 plate appearances versus 19 in 81 games this year. 309 plate appearances for Kurt Suzuki. What the hell? But there was backing. You can say juice ball. Sure. I'm sh I'm sure it helped. I have not investigated uh, his home runs on like Hit Tracker Online or Baseball Savant to see, you know, how many just enoughs or luckies he had or whatever. But but regardless of that, there were there were skill changes that that show the power surge. Fly ball rate shot up from thirty nine percent to forty seven percent. Pull rate was up forty five percent to forty nine percent. Hard contact rate from thirty percent to thirty three percent. All the factors that you would see in power, particularly that fly ball rate, uh, which which would suggest a swing change, swing pattern, uh, launch angle, hashtag launch angle. Um, it was all there for Kurt Suzuki to have this. And, you know, we see old catchers 
have power bursts. Uh, it's not completely out of bounds for old catchers. I just this wouldn't have not have been the one that I would have expected. So he had a, he had an amazing season there. Still didn't strike out at all either. In fact, um, negligibly negligibly improved his strikeout rate from 12.9 percent to 12.6. But the fact that he added all that power and all those fly balls and didn't strike out any more is really impressive. So he also had a 283 average to go with it. Big season for Kurt Suzuki. He's going to be 34 next year, so I'd be careful on betting on like a full repeat or anything, but I certainly think he can be solid again, and I wonder if they'll go with that full-on uh, platoon again with he and Tyler Flowers. Now, Tyler Flowers was one I could I could see uh, you know, throwing that buck on late and saying, hey, I want him as my C2 because I think he could be solid. Now, he played 99 games. He got 12 homers, 281 average. Uh, he did really well, too. Didn't have quite the power surge, but that was a big boost from last year or from, from 16 when he had just eight. So he added four homers. Um, but the OBP was, was really nice, too, 378. And so if you play an OBP league, Tyler Flowers now has 357 and 378 the last two years as he's really learned some plate patience. So I'm going to be intrigued by those two. I want to see where they go. I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of tax for a uh, 32 for Flowers and 34-year-old for Suzuki, respectively. I don't think there's going to be too much cost uh, added to them. Obviously, they'll probably go from – not really being drafted last year to at least being rostered, but they're going to be C2 options. No one's going to take them as their number one catcher. And again, in the NL only league, if they keep that duo together, maybe you just get both of them for, I don't know, a total of like seven bucks and you just ride it out. They will be worse than this year. Most likely you just bake in some regression, but I don't think it'd be so much that you can't, you can't do it. Uh, Flowers had the second best hard contact rate at catcher or has the second-best hard contact rate at catcher since the start of 2016, minimum 400 plate appearances. And like I said with Suzuki, uh, his power surge was aided by fly ball rate, pull rate, and hard surge rate, con uh, hard contact rate surges. So I think there's some legitimacy to that as well. So um, that's the catcher position. Those are some guys that I'm really looking at. Lucroy is going to be interesting if he goes back to Colorado. I think the price will be uh, relatively high. Um, compared to like what he did, because I think people will be excited that he's back in Colorado, and he did, he did kind of get going over there. But but don't be too fooled by like the triple slash that he had, because a lot of that was boosted by a a huge OBP surge from him hitting eighth, and so he had a ton of walks there. But it's a little bit inflated. He's capable of drawing walks, like when he's when he's right, when he's good. Jonathan Lucroy is, but don't just look at that 429 and be like, oh, he dominated in Colorado because I don't think he'd be hitting eighth going into the year. He still didn't have any pop to speak of. His OBP and slugging were eight points apart, 437 and 429. That's terrible. I just don't know how he didn't have a nagging injury this year. I just I just don't know. Now, we haven't seen anything reported. I think it's actually been denied by by Lucroy, and maybe he's just trying to gut it out, be tough, and not look for an excuse or whatever. But it just strikes me as so weird that he could play all this, uh, that he could be this poor um, and so far from his his career record in two of the most hitter, hitting-friendly environments and not have something to it, especially when you look and there's a – giant spike in ground ball rate from 37% to 54%. Hard contact rate tumbled from 35% to 22%. This just screams nagging injuries. Multiple ones, perhaps. Maybe a hand and a knee. Maybe a toe and a wrist. I don't know. I don't know. 
Um, you know, he seemed to sell out for contact. There was a, uh, an 11% strikeout rate after 18% and 15% the last two years for Lucroy. I don't know. I'll be keeping an eye on his cost. I, I think it'll probably end up being too high for me to really jump in, and that's why I'll be looking at those other guys. Another guy I didn't mention, um, just kind of offshoot, Christian Vasquez. Got to see if he's going to get the lion's share, but I do buy into a batting average, and I think that he has a real chance at getting 400-plus plate appearances. They seem to really like him there in Boston, so we'll see how that goes. I know Sandy Leone is still there, and uh, he's a good he's a good framer, so there's there, there's reason for him to get burned and if it's more of like a 60 40 55 45 that would be uh less heartening for somebody like vasquez but i think he could he could get more of the playing time and start pushing 400 plus plate appearances he at 290 this year uh, i think he's at least like a 275 guy so even if you make in some regression it's still going to be good so that's catcher uh, i'll be again doing first base i think next week and i think we're gonna have an episode this weekend um, I'm, I'm don't have all the details hammered out, so I don't want to promise something in case it's not going to be there, but then definitely Monday, uh, with Eno and Justin. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving for those of you listening in the United States. I know those of you in Canada, I believe had it in October, but, uh, if you go out and do black Friday shopping, don't be a piece of garbage person. Just try to get the stuff that you want and don't harm others or just be a really smart person and do it online. Like, uh, like, a, like a cool guy. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Peace. Oh, and I'll do Eno's. Thanks for listening.